With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here are your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. Welcome to Inside the Door on a Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Nina Pantic. I'm joined by Irina Falcone. Hey, guys. And we have a special guest on. He is the former coach of Maria Sharapova, who has worked with Anna Ivanovic, Caroline Wozniacki, Monica Sellas, Greg Rzetsky, Tommy Haas. I mean, you name it. He's worked with them. He's been on both tours. He's been around for many years. His name is Sven Gronfeld. Thanks for being on with us, Sven. Thank you, Nina. Thank you, Irina, for having me. I really look forward to our chat. And... Um... You know, let's let's speak about tennis. So, Sven, let's just start with um, where are you based now and what are you working on or who are you working with? <laughs> uh, I am based, uh, like many other coaches, on the road. Um, I do uh, have family in, uh, in Amsterdam and uh, my girlfriend lives in Germany. And uh, I've been spending some time um, at the IMG Academy with uh, one of their clients from China. His name is uh, Wu Yibing, uh, a young uh, 90-year-old guy that uh, won the US Open in 2017, uh, juniors. And um, I've been traveling with him since uh, May uh, of this year. That's awesome. So you obviously transitioned from being a professional into the coaching world. And I just wanted to know just a little bit of history. Who was your first coaching position? How did you get into it? Was the transition easy, would you say? Good question. Uh, I would never call myself really a pro. I mean, I played some satellites uh, in the time that I played was in the uh, in the 80s. Um, I was not successful on that stage, although I got some points uh, and got me, myself a ranking. Um, I was fortunate enough to actually play at two different universities in the United States. I started at the NAIA level at Southwest Baptist University in Missouri. Uh, then I made a transfer to the University of Kansas. I found myself in a position that I actually uh, needed to actually play one more year to feel that I was ready to make that transition to to go pro. Unfortunately, due to circumstances that I actually had to start coaching, I, I was forced to start coaching because for my second year at the University of Kansas, I needed to be the, the assistant coach. I don't want to go into detail why I actually stopped that but I was not able to continue practicing and I had to focus full-time on on coaching which I was not very happy about and I turned out actually to leave uh, not uh, on the best of terms uh, unfortunately but that left me with a year left to finalize my education Instead of uh, finishing my education, I decided to go into building houses. I had a sponsor that was living in Kentucky at the time. And uh, he offered me a, a job and a, and a house to stay, but actually work 
maybe even at a country club to coach and to make, you know, twenty dollars an hour. And and I was so disappointed at that stage that I I refused to do that and decided to go work in construction and make four dollars and fifty cents. And uh, was very proud to work for six months and uh, laying brick and uh, making mortar and. Until my sister called me and said, Sven, you know, um, uh, you might want to consider coming back to the Netherlands and come home because there is an American university that will, you can transfer all your credits and you can finalize your education here. And so long story short, I finished my uh, education uh, in Holland. Uh, I went back and then I started coaching actually at the club level and I played and I was teaching tennis at the local club. So during my last year of uh, school, I studied business management. And when I finished, I was not ready to go into the workforce, uh, nor was I even interested in going pro. So my transition from playing tennis, studying and going pro was more of a choice of location, but also uh, not really having a really clear path. What I really wanted to do was see the world. I wanted to travel more. And I ended up taking a job in Japan in 1991. I ended up going to Japan based on an invitation from a, an, um, an academy that was named uh, the American Tennis School. Or the guy that actually invited me, his name is Tex Swain. And he happens to be the brother of Gary Swain. And Gary Swain works for IMG. And is the agent of John McEnroe and many other players that are represented by IMG. It's a small world, as we all know. This was really coincidence. And I ended up uh, in Japan because of Tex recruiting me. And then when the call came from Monica Sales to have somebody hit with her during the tournament in Tokyo, Tex said to Gary, Sven is the perfect guy for the job. Here I am 28 years later, still working with IMG clients and uh, still traveling the world. Wow, that's a, that's a rich, rich story. Both, uh, both myself and Irina played college tennis. Uh, and I, I actually transferred and, and went through some struggles kind of like that. Uh, didn't build a house though. So, so you would say, so you would say that Celis was maybe your first. Um, I mean, I guess famous name, your first big break. Yes, I mean, obviously on tour. I mean, when I was in Japan, I worked with the Naoko Sawamatsu. That was really my first professional player that I worked. While I was working with her, the request came from Monica to uh, hit with her, and so when. The time came that actually uh, I was negotiating a contract with Naoko. And there was another call from Monica that said, can you please come for four weeks at the end of the year and help me? And so I went to her uncle of Naoko Sawamatsu and proposed that I would take a leave for a couple of weeks. What happened then was that there was a bit of a, a difference of opinion. And uh Basically, he basically gave me an ultimatum. He said, either you stay here or you go and you never have to come back. So that was not very good for me to hear. Um, being Dutch, I'm quite stubborn. But, you know, as we know, all tennis players are very stubborn. And being Dutch, I felt a little bit under pressure. And then I said, OK, then I go to see Monica for those four weeks and I'll see what happens afterwards. I, I, you know, that's too bad. If you don't want me back, it's OK. And then I ended up staying with Monica for the duration of uh, nine months. It sounds like you had to be very flexible and travel pretty much anywhere and be really willing to take a risk, right, to, to, to get going. 
Of course. I mean, it's, you know, risk. I don't, I never saw it as a risk. I see it as a choice and have a vision and have an ambition. Uh, that was the driving force behind it. And I really felt that when I first initiated, you know, the initiate the contact with the pros, I felt that I could really add value to their needs. And whether it was on, on court, uh, on practice, or advice just on, on strategy, uh, mental advice, or, or just support in, in their, in their uh, road to what they have traveled on and wanted to achieve their, their goals. I never saw it, and I still don't see it as a risk. It's, a, it's really, how can I add value to somebody's needs? I think that's going to be exceptionally important for some young coaches to hear, just the value that you can bring to a player. It's not necessarily about results all the time, but it definitely, you have to have a little bit of value day in and day out to have such a career that you've had. Um, and you've been on the tour for so long, and you've worked with a number of amazing players and i just want to know did you ever really have a mentor or was it just kind of learning the ropes as you went yes i mean i think at every stage of my development um i had mentors and i still um you know tap into that uh, my mentors have been my youth coaches in in the netherlands more on the basics of tennis from a fundamental technical aspect but also the game a lot of times we forget that tennis actually is a game and we forget the game aspect. And I grew up where it became more like a chess, you know, playing chess or checkers or Monopoly or, you know, it was a game. And, and, and I learned through my own experiences what actually I realized that a lot of times um, the type of game we play uh, reflects not only of our ability, but also, also our personality. And so throughout my career, I've always had mentors and I was lucky enough to be among uh, some great coaches like Nick Politeri in the very early stages when I was working with Mary Pierce or with people like uh, Gil Reyes during the um, Adidas Player Development Program. I've learned from Mark McCormick uh, while I was working with Betsy Nagelson uh, in 1993. I was able to spend six months on the road and spend basically every day with them. So all the agents that represented the players like Gavin Forbes or Mike, um, uh, Max Eisenbutt, I think what I always tend to do is listen to all those that um, are working with professional athletes. And outside of the box, I've attended all the seminars of Anthony Robbins. And that made a major impact in my life, my personal life. Uh, which I believe I became a better, a better person and a better coach through that. To this day, I mean, you're still learning pretty much. And uh, one of the things that really cracked me up was when you said that Dutch people are stubborn. I actually worked with Brenda Schultz-McCarthy. I don't know if of you've course. ever worked. Of course, I know worked. Brenda very well, yes. We're yes. the same city. Okay, okay. So uh, me and Nina both worked with Brenda in, in Florida and... I can definitely relate to the fact that, yes, Dutch people are very stubborn. <laughs> um, but, yeah, she, she, was a, she was a wonderful coach. And, and um, yeah, that's really cool. Small world, as you said. You also knew yes. Brenda. Yeah, well, Brenda was, you know, obviously the big, the big talent uh, uh, coming from, from, from our, 
our um, our city. You know, I've always fo- followed her many uh, over all the years. I never worked with her, but still, I see her every once in a while, and you know, our, our relationship is strong and good. And you know, and we communicate about tennis and and how she looks at it and how I look at it. And I think not only that we're stubborn, but we also have a very clear understanding of what we expect from ourselves and what what we expect from our athletes. And sometimes that can come across quite hard and strong. And I believe that's something that I I still am trying to uh, adjust according to who I have in front of me. And uh, it's not that, you know, a lot, a lot of times I always try to see if it's what kind of computer system am I running here? Is it Apple or is it uh, Microsoft? Uh, you know, I need to speak the same language. Um, and the language of the player is more important than my language. To me, that's really, really interesting. I worked with a lot of different coaches when I was playing, and uh, I had the two different college experiences and different coaches. But Irina, especially because she played professionally and, and she still is playing on tour, has worked with so many different coaches. And I see in, in news coverage, like right now, December is a big month for players to change coaches. So so when players are, are looking for new coaches to hire uh, right now, especially as a, as, a, as a busy time for pros to change coaches, um, what should a player be looking for? Do you have any advice for the, the, you know, the key components of what's important in a coach from a player? You know, there are so many elements and it's a, such a good question to ask. And I wish I had a PDF file that I could just hand over. I mean, having a, having a platform like Orange Coach where I have more than 20,000 coaches registered, uh, you would think that I would have a PDF file for that. It doesn't exist um, because I think for every player, something else is more important than for the other. So each individual player should look into the mirror and ask him or herself, what do I need? The big question is about, is about need. What do I need? And, and the need is, is, is the most important question that the player needs to ask themselves now do you need a you know a sparring partner do you need a travel companion do you need a uh, a pro that can add value for technique or tactics or do you need um, a nutritionist do you need a physical trainer what what do you really need and that need comes with a lot of questions what i tend to do uh, when I also, when I get in front of a player, I ask the player, what do you need? What are you looking for? What is the need that you're trying to fill by speaking to me uh, and potentially coaching you? I've been across players before where I just don't match up to their needs. I feel that is the responsibility, not only for the player, but also for the coach. And of course, there are coaches out there that are in need of a job. And so then all of a sudden their need becomes more valuable to the need of the player. And that is very dangerous that you hire somebody because the need of the coach is far greater than your own personal need as a player. Very dangerous because you are then all of a sudden as a player fulfilling the need of the coach. I always tend to look from the player's perspective, even though I'm a coach, I always have to make take, take my own needs in consideration. And if that matches with the player, I'm happy to take the job, but the player really needs to learn how to address the needs they they need the most. That is something so important, I think, for both players and coaches to hear, because I know from my experience, and I'm sure that you've met some coaches before, where 
it doesn't become about the player after a little bit. I know I worked with someone and just a few months in, all of a sudden they started expecting so much more, so much more, and it all became about them. And that's usually when you know that the relationship is not going to work <laughs> anymore. So yes, I, I totally can understand where you're going with that. Yeah, and that's, and that, you know, and, and the player needs to take that responsibility. A lot of times we have the agents and we have the parents involved in, in, in filling the, 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 the job for the coach. Uh, meaning that they are doing the selection, but I think the the responsibility is going to have to come with from from the player, and it's not always easy. It it is not it's not an easy job uh, to as a professional player to manage your career and then also manage to you know locate the individual that's going to take you to the places that you want to go, um, and 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 it does make a lot of sense because the. The coaches do have their needs. I mean, so so do I. As I said, I think you know it would be nice to get a PDF out there and 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 go through it. But uh, I think for every each individual, it's different. So you did mention that sometimes agents and parents are brought into the process into choosing a coach, and I know from experience that it can either be detrimental or be very positive for an agent to be involved or a parent to be involved do you find that at all or do you find that it's better just to have a relationship just with the player you know i've been in both uh, many different uh, uh coaching positions where where my role uh was not only with the player i developed with adidas um in 2005 the adidas player development program which was tailored to advise the parents, agents, and players on the best structure for their profession as, as a tennis player. So we did a lot of interim coaching, and, and I learned through that time that relationships with both parents and, 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 and the total entourage is so important to have. Um, obviously, there are also um, instances where there is not such relationship. Uh, I worked with Michael Stieck many years back in 95, 96, where he and I were just, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. There was nobody that was involved. But if you have other relationships where I've worked, where, you know, also Natalie Deschi I've worked with, where I had a very, you know, direct relationship with her. Uh, she was married at the time already when I started working with her and her husband, but her husband was the husband. And so... But I've also been in, in many other coaches' position, position where with players where I needed to have a very strong relationship with the parent or the agent. And that's, yeah, I mean, you as a coach need to adapt to the circumstances you find yourself in. You're there to service the need of the player. In that process, you will be able to then give the best advice forward. Now, that may not always be the best advice for yourself. Uh, that may sometimes be that you're uh, working yourself out of a job or if it's not the right time for you to be the coach for this particular player. I feel that I owe that to my profession to always have a, a fact check with myself. Am I here for myself or am I here for the player? And so that fact check, I, I you know, not on a daily basis, but I, I do check that quite often. I feel like it takes a bit of a magic recipe to find the right fit 
coach, player, entourage, parents, agents, all kind of, uh, you know, like a lot, of, a lot of moving parts. But you've also worked with so many players. You've worked with Celis, Wozniak, Ivanovic, Sharapova, Verdasco, Haas. I mean, these players are overlapping, right? So so how do, what happens when you switch camps and, and you see the other player you used to work with or you're coaching your player against someone you already worked with two months ago? Is it weird? Is it professional? Is there something where, I don't know, like how, how, how does it work when you're on tour altogether? Yeah, uh, listen, I mean, obviously it's such a personal relationship, but at the same time, I see it as a job. I'm, I'm not a friend. I've, I've made that very clear. I'm very close to the players. I've even been uh, a best man for Ruzetsky when, when I was working with him. We split up and we came back. Uh, but I always make very clear that I'm not a friend. And it's sometimes difficult to, to um, differentiate between friend, coach, advisor, consultant. And I, I keep a very clear path for myself. And I will always work very hard to, to make sure that this line is very, very clear. And so even though you work with players and you switch camps, uh, for example, I, I remember this very clearly. I was working with Arancha Sanchez Vicario. And um, one month later, I was working with Mary Pierce. At that time, the players box at the French Open uh, was still in the same uh, area of both teams. And uh, it was very strange because a month before or two months before, I was still working with Arancha uh, and she had won Amelia Island and we, we, we stopped because of particular reasons. But I picked up with Mary Pierce again. And two months later, uh, they were playing the final at the French. And of course, it's strange. Of course, with the players, it's okay. A lot of times it's more difficult for the entourage to accept the transition. The player actually feels okay with it. Um, more easily than the entourage. For me, uh, as I said, I am there to do a job. And so if I'm in the camp of one player and then next month in the other, I my, my job is to represent the player that has hired me to do a job. There is no feeling. That's just part of the, the, the profession that I've chosen to do. We just found out that uh, Venus Williams is splitting with David Witt, and that's just one of many different you know, these little news that come out around December, November, is it because all the contracts are one year and they end in December or is off-season important because, you know, you want to make a big, huge change? Or what's your take on, on I think WTA is more than ATP. They're changing coaches. But is, is it because they want to change something dramatically and they're like, okay, I don't want him anymore. I want someone new who will, who will save me and get me back in top 10. Like, what, what, why is it so dramatic all the time? Well, I'm not, first of all, I... I um... I don't know about each contract, but I, I would always advise that if you start a contract, you would start, you know, the contract from the beginning of the preseason until the end of, of the season, which is normally with the women October 30th. So there is normally an 11 month kind of contract just to be safe that you can, you know, you can uh, extend the, the year to that. You also can, you know, start talking probably around the U.S. Open. And if you want to continue or not, these talks are normally taking place. I mean, I, I believe that uh, when you look at your career as a player, you need to know, you need to create a lot of certainties in your, in your career because there are so many uncertainties in tennis as a profession, as a travel, as health, uh, losses or injuries. There are so many things that are uncertain. So 
you want to create certainties and certainties is one of them is a contract and an agreement with a coach. And if you can do that for a certain time and you can say, okay, I know this is what I can expect. These are, these are my expenses. These are my travel plans, et cetera, et cetera. You create also a certain confidence in your fun fundamental base. Now, again, I've, I see that there are changes on obviously on the WTA tour, obviously more than on the men's. I don't want to put my finger on one reason for that. Again, it's individual. I, I cannot really tell you the reason why that is other than that it happens. You know, I, I wouldn't know the answer for that, unfortunately. Uh, if I did, I would uh, be happy to share that with you. <laughs> well, I mean, as we all know, breakups happen, coaching situations happen, and situations just arise in general, whether it's on court or off court. And um, speaking about things that are happening on the court, um, there has been a lot of speculation and a lot of talks about on court coaching. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts are. I have a lot of thoughts about it, but if you take it in the concept that it's existing now, I'm against it because I, from the beginning, have told the WTA that I found their choice to be wrong. I felt that it would not uh, represent the female players the way that I see the female player as a strong, independent uh, woman on court. And I felt that our profession as a coach is not managed or how would I say there's not a structure in place that our coaches are being licensed or educated. Um, and I felt that there would be instances that there are coaches going to be on court that um, would allow the player to have a bad image. Tennis is an individual sport. And I feel if you do it, do it across the board. I know the tour and the Grand Slams are different. I've taken advantage of it. Let me be honest with that. I feel that it can add value to the player and to to our sport. But I feel that I prefer to keep tennis as a strong, independent sport that that represents tennis as the game it is. And uh, if you do it like, for example, Dave's Cup or Fed Cup or the World Team Tennis or in college, I I'm all for it. I think the only place it probably should be, and it should be managed correctly, would be probably on the junior level, where the, the, the junior players can get uh, a better guidance in their, in their development. But I know the argument also that there will be uh, a lot of people on court that are not qualified, and you will have a lot of problems in that matter. But if I had to make a choice right now, I would say, no, I'm not, I'm not for it. You mentioned that there are some coaches that don't provide the best image for that player and they're not vouched and they should not be on the court. But uh, WTA did implement some sort of process that you have to go through to become a WTA coach. I believe it's called Gold Coach Program or something where you have your own credential and it allows you to have your, an additional credential during a Grand Slam so it does not go on the player. Have you heard of it? Are you a part of it? I heard of it. I'm not part of it. Uh, again, I think the initiative, what they, what the WTA has started is good. That ATP has, has an organization for coaches as well. The qualifications, they are not to the standard that I would like to see. And therefore, I would argue that the program is 
is not doing justice uh, for what it should be doing. And of course, it's a great service. And, and we're talking about benefits for coaches. To be honest, you know, the benefits should be that the player should be guaranteed of the coach being educated. And it should be licensed. The coach should be having a license uh, or a degree. In, uh, and that should be that should be part of our our world and that doesn't exist and and therefore i think just to have it it's not it's not valid i'm happy that the wta for the first year has now uh, come up with a uh, uh, how would i say a title of best coach of the year and and sasha has received it the coach of um, uh, osaka and i'm glad that they recognizing the coach that I'm happy about because when I started I from the beginning felt that the coaches were not getting any recognition and did not were not valued by the organizations like ATP and the WTA where I believe that the WTA and the ATP have an obligation to their uh, players that they have to provide them a pathway if they have become have been a player and have the ambition to become a coach, I think the player is the best investment they can have to provide that investment that I've made all those years in the players that have played on their tour. And for them to become coaches, I would, you know, I I totally support that. And and even include a pension fund besides becoming a you know a professional player. Make it part of the pathway to become a coach and extend your pension fund to a later stage in your career as a professional coach. And this is what I would like to see happen, uh, both on the WTA and the ATP Tour. So you mean uh, like a player who was on WTA could then become a coach with the help of the WTA? Is that what you mean? Yes. Oh, I like that. I, th- I think that makes great sense. I think one of the hardest things is seeing what to do after you stop playing and, and how, to, how to adapt. And that would be a big, a big support. Uh, so, so you're also um, the co-owner of OrangeCoach.com. What is that about, and what is that for, and how did you get into it, and why? Yes, yeah, so Orange Coach has been part of a little bit of a you know mission statement for myself many years back, and I remember very clear. And I, and I don't know if he will remember, but Tony Gotzik, the agent of uh, Roger Federer at that time, uh, an agent for for IMG. I mentioned to him, I said, you know, I want to start a coaches organization that can represent coaches and and um, create opportunities for coaches on tour. And he said, you will never, ever get that. And he's been pretty strong about that opinion. And, and, and he may be right, but I feel that the coaches are making progress. So I started Orange Coach based on that ambition. And the other thing is that I got my job by a little advertisement in the American Tennis Magazine that I got my job in Japan. And I wrote and I got my letter back two months later and I had to send a fax with a follow-up and I had to send a picture of myself. And I said, in today's world, in the digital world, everything can be so much easier. And I want to give something back that I know is so valid to so many coaches out there that, are, that want to experience to to travel the world and not so much even on tour, but even to be at a, a hotel resort or a country club or a federation in another country. So we created Orange Coach with the ambition to provide the, the biggest platform 
for uh, job placement. And uh, so far, we extended that with uh, two different sports, uh, with um, uh, paddle tennis and uh, field hockey. We're uh, you know planning to start with soccer and basketball and golf, uh, just to you know expand their horizons for coaches worldwide and provide this service. And um, I, I still keep looking to the future and growing the. The, the, the business, but also the, the pathway for a coach. Because I never, when I was a little, little boy, uh, I never saw that pathway. I thought that if I become a, a coach or if I become a teacher, I was a failure. And, and because of that, I never had the ambition to become a coach until I realized that I can add and I can give and I can, uh, and I saw the pathway when I, got to the highest level that I could add value. And I want to, you know, even when you're a little boy or a little girl starting this game and you can see the pathway that it's not only about results, it's not only making it as a profession, but look, you can still, you know, add great value and have a great life and have a great uh, profession as a coach, even if you are never made it as a professional player. I think that it's just so cool, the fact that you're bringing so many people that are qualified and are pretty much striving to help others achieve their dreams. That's just fantastic. And, uh, you know, we're wrapping it up here. And since you have been an incredible coach throughout your career, we, we have to ask, what's been your top five favorite coaching moments? <laughs> the top five. Well, it has to be the first day that I actually had a chance to get on court with Monica Salas. That's, that's for sure in the top five. To meet Mark McCormick, definitely top five. And then I cannot take away the first Grand Slam. Uh, I, I won't take the credit for sure with Monica when I was in 92 at the, at the Australian Open I, and she won the Grand Slam. I was, you know, the sparring partner and helping her father in, in, in many ways. But when Mary Pierce won her Grand Slam in uh, 95 at the Australian Open, Anna Ivanovic, when she won the French Open, and of course, with Maria Sharapova. Uh, there are so many moments that actually that have happened, even for Michael Stieg to reach the final in in uh, 96 uh, when at the French Open, when he was not even going to play, uh, was so many special moments that, you know, that may have made the front page. But, you know, there are also so many little things that happened that I cannot share that are actually make me want to get up in the morning, get back on the court and, and work with these players and be away from my family and make the sacrifices that I have to make. It's because of the little things that that um, that are attached to working with professional players. That's awesome. I grew up a huge, huge fan of Monica Seles. Uh, so that's that's just that's so awesome. And I really I'm really looking forward to see who you work with uh, in the coming years and, and, and seeing you around. And I really agree with you that Learning more about coaches is actually really important because lately the WTA has been doing interviews with coaches more publicly. And I really, as a, as a reporter, I really enjoy hearing their insight because they're kind of behind the scenes, as you said. And, and you are, are one of those many important coaches on tour, on both tours, ATP and WTA. It's been a huge honor talking with you. I really appreciate your time. We both really do. No, my pleasure. And uh, again, you know, I think anybody who's, uh, you know, growing the game and, and, and making this effort to, to get together, you know, our, our voice out there um, anytime, you know, 
give me a call. I'm ready to get back on any topic. And uh, thanks again for for the invite. Okay, that's it for this episode of Inside the Tour on the Tennis.com podcast. I've been Nina Pantic. And I've been Irina Falcone. And thank you, Sven, for your time. Thank you for both. And I look forward to the meeting you guys on the tour sometime. Thanks for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.